the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're back in Revelation chapter 5 once again today. In the middle of the week, we're looking again at the sovereignty of the Lamb. Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner coming up next. Turmoil, trouble, and mayhem. It is all a great description of what's taking place here in Revelation. But in the midst of it all, there is one who rules and reigns over it all, providing a lot of comfort for those who trust in him. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Back here in chapter 5 of Revelation, we are looking once again at the sovereignty of the Lamb. A lot of encouragement and comfort comes our way in this passage for those of us who are found in Christ. With more, here's Pastor Gary on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Verse 7, And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The only person who dared to come before the throne and take the book out of God's hand is the Son of God himself. Now notice what happened, verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Then, once again, they sing a song of praise. And there are are actually three great hymns that come up here in this chapter. But notice about these elders. They each had a harp in their hands. That is what they use to sing God's praises in worship. So you see, for those dear Christian friends of ours who don't believe in using musical instruments in the worship of God, hear these elders sang the praises of God with harps in their hands <clears throat> before God himself. Golden bowls of incense... Incense in the Old Testament was symbolic of the prayers of God's people as the smoke of the incense goes up into heaven into our God's nostrils. And there was a bowl of incense in the temple. And we're going to see in chapter 8 that incense was also a symbol of the intercessions of Christ for us. It was a sweet aroma of the intercessions of Christ that makes our prayers and intercessions actually acceptable to God. And we will discuss this further when we get to the 8th chapter. So here they are singing these hymns. The first hymn is in verse 9, sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders who have all fallen down before the Lamb in worship of Him. Now notice They are worshiping the Lamb of God as God. This is a great verse to read to your Jehovah Witness friends, beloved. The Lamb of God is to be worshipped as God because He is God. 
having each one a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. All right now. It says the 24 elders and the four living creatures sing a new song. Now, this idea of newness occurs time and again in the book of Revelation. The new Jerusalem, a new name, and here a new song. Everything having to do with this new age and new day that the Lord Jesus Christ brought, into, brought onto the scene of history with his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But what is this new song? What do you think of when you think of a new song? Well, John the Apostle did not think up this phrase himself. He goes back to Isaiah. He goes back to Isaiah 42. And notice what the content of this new song is. Isaiah 42, 8 through 13. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. In other words, here is a messianic prophecy that a new day is coming. And I am prophesying that day before it even happens. So sing to the Lord a new song. That fits this new day and these new things. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and those who dwell on them. Let the wilderness and its cries lift up their voices. The settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Seba sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth. Like a warrior, he will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. So what is this new song's theme? It is that Jesus is a mighty warrior, a man of war, who raises a war cry and who prevails against and destroys all of his enemies by opening the book. You see, that is how the enemies of God are destroyed. That's why Jesus is called a warrior, because he is opening the book and the effect of opening it with the covenant curses based on the righteous standard of God leads to the destruction of those who persecute the faithful people of the Lord Jesus Christ until all of the enemies are put down and Christ prevails. That is the theme of this new song. But now, what in Revelation 5 specifically does he emphasize about this new song? Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. 
The part of the song that John emphasizes, which is heard by these 24 elders singing along with the four living creatures, is about the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is about the death and the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ and its accomplishments. Now, did John get from the new song of Isaiah 42 of this great conquering king who prevails over all of his enemies and the death of Christ on the cross? Well, any sovereignty, any mediatorial power Jesus has over all men, he has because of his death on the cross. But the foundation of Christ's rule and kingship is his atoning death. The Bible says in Philippians that Christ, when he humiliated himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the Christ of the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is curios, is Lord. So Christ's mediatorial lordship is in his humiliating life and death, his atonement on the cross. And he has that sovereignty as a gift from Almighty God. And that is why he starts talking about the atonement of Christ in this hymn. Now, we can learn a great deal about the atonement of Christ here. First, in verse 9, we can learn something about the nature of the atonement. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and has purchased for God. The atonement of Christ was a purchase. He purchased something. In 1 Corinthians, it says that we have been bought with a price, Therefore, glory God, glorify God with your body, for it belongs to him. So the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross in his atonement to purchase, to buy for himself as his own personal possession, his people, you and I. The next thing is the purchase of the atonement, and that is to purchase people for God. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God. The reason Christ died on the cross was to purchase those people so they might live as God's personal possession all the rest of their lives. Now notice the scope of the atonement. The atonement was for our, as our text says, every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus died not for one race, not for one nationality, not for a single period of time, but he died for people all over the world in every age from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So in heaven, there's going to be all kinds of people. They are going to be in all colors. You know, a number of English translations speak of a time in heaven when the people of God will be there, but they chicken out of the translating of the word people in, by doing it incorrectly. Because in the best Greek manuscripts, the word is not people, but peoples. And the Greek word for peoples is ethnic or ethnic groups. 
And you can see that in Revelation 21, verse 3. So don't think like a lot of white Americans when all of Christians are raised from the dead, everyone is going to be perfect and eternal and white. Not so. God, my friends, loves colors. So those bodies put in the grave are the same bodies that will be raised someday. All colors, all races, all ethnic groups, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And now we see the design of the atonement. I'm going to misread verse 9 this time. So see if you can catch this. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Did you catch it? It says, Worthy are you to take the book to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from, or people from, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So understand the Lord Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and shed his precious blood for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. But he died and shed his precious blood to purchase for God people from or out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So there is one of the clearest places in scripture where you see the distinction between every single person in the whole wide world and the entire human race and those within the human race that Jesus died to save. You know, it is degrading to Christ to believe that he died for every single person in the human race. Let's say that Christ's intention was to die for every single person in the whole wide world. Now, he is God, and God always accomplishes his intentions. Whatever God intends to do, he does And if Jesus intended to save everyone in the whole wide world without exception, and since he is God, then everyone in the whole wide world must be saved, whether they are Christians or not. Men like Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, Barack Obama, and all the rest. Do you see the problem you run into with that? If Jesus died to save everyone in the whole wide world, and he is God, then everyone in the whole wide world is saved, whether they claim Christ as their Lord and Savior or not, or whether they are good or evil. There would be no distinction at all between good and evil. And that is an intolerable thought. Now, the other side of that is, Jesus intended to save everyone in the whole wide world by his death, but... There are people in hell. There are people he didn't save that they would say he wanted to save and that he intended to save by his death. So, poor, poor Jesus. Jesus is then a failure who cannot carry out what he intended to do. So you see this idea of the unlimited desire of his death, that he died on the cross to save everyone in the whole wide world, puts us on the horns of a dilemma. You either have to believe that since he is God, everyone is saved no matter what, or you have to believe that he is a failure. So that idea is dishonoring to God. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save his chosen people, 
those God sent him to earth to save within the human race is what brings honor to him because he really does it. He doesn't try to do it. He never fails. What does it say? You were slain and purchased, actually purchased. He didn't just try to. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And what is the effect of that accomplished redemption? Verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Have you noticed how many times the emphasis has been made in Revelation 1 through 4 about dominion? About the fact that those who are elders, those who wear the white garments, those who are members of God's church are saved to rule or exercise dominion. It's not Rome. It's not the Roman Catholic Church. But those who believed in him and are faithful to him are predestined to exercise dominion and rule over themselves, their families, their churches, and eventually their communities and the whole wide world. See, the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ is the means by which he purchased you and me for himself and put us in the position we lost in Adam of exercising dominion and rule in every area of life. Let me tell you one last thing about atonement. I think I've told you this once before, but I think this is important. There is a book that Arthur Pink wrote that I think is an absolutely wonderful book, and if you don't have it, you really need to have it as a Christian in your library. I'm pretty sure it was written in the 1930s, and about 25 years ago, the title was changed. The new title is The Atonement of Christ, to try and make it more interesting and maybe even a little more understandable for some people. Because the old title was The Satisfaction of Christ. Now, when the church started calling the death of Christ the atonement of Christ rather than the satisfaction of Christ, I think we really lost something. We began to be more vague And our message became much more ill-defined because the word satisfaction is what the death of Christ was. That is the most descriptive word. It explains the essence of Christ's death. Christ's death on the cross satisfied God's wrath, satisfied the claims of God's law, and satisfied the claims of God's justice. It was a satisfaction of God. The atonement is more general. There's not one particular word that translates the idea of atonement. It's translated actually in a variety of ways. But the word satisfaction meets the description of Christ's death to a T. So instead of speaking of the atonement of Christ, speak of his satisfaction. Because it gives a clear description of what Christ's death actually accomplished. So here in verse 9, we have the first graced hymn that describes Christ's warrior nature. He is conquering nature, and it's based upon his death. Then in verse 11, we have another hymn. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, or the cherubim, and the elders. Now just picture all of this. 
Surround sound is really nothing compared to all of this. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Here you have all these countless numbers of angels and the cherubim who are the forces of nature and the elders which are the entire church of Christ and they are gathered around the throne and they are saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So here you have this hymn of Christ as exalted above all things because he was slain. And having been slain, now he is to be praised as a source of all power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in the universe. Then the third hymn. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all the things in them, that is everything I heard saying to him, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, or in Greek it can be even to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The sovereign is the creator. The Lamb of God is worshipped as the sovereign of the universe because he is worshipped as God himself. Verse 14. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped God. So our chapter ends with this great confession in song that Christ is the source of all power and sovereignty. That he and he alone is to be praised and worshipped. That all of creation worships him. Everything, the cherubim, the church, every created thing in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the seas. Everything worships him. Therefore, no area of life is to be relegated to Satan or to neutrality. We must never say that any area of life belongs to Satan. We must never say that any area of life is even secular. (coughs) What'd you say? But I know some areas of life are secular. We've been studying this actually in Hebrews. So those of you who are in the Hebrews class already know this. But absolutely not. You see, my friends, everything is sacred because everything belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jim Bob's Blue Moon Tavern The land it stands on, Reformed Heritage Church, they're both sacred. Everything or most everything they do at Jim's Bob is probably in rebellion against our King Jesus. I hope that's not true of any of you here at RHC. But the point is, every single square inch on this planet is sacred. My friends, it all belongs to him who sits on the throne, King Jesus. If you were able to get in a rocket ship and travel to the farthest regions of the universe, that all belongs to Jesus, the creator of it. If someone, somehow, you were able to plumb the deep recesses of your own heart as deep as one can get, Jesus says, that is mine too. He owns everything. He is the governor of everything. He is the king of everything in heaven and on earth. Therefore, persecuted, 
ridiculed church of Jesus Christ. You have nothing, nothing to worry about. Not even the coronavirus. Nothing can go wrong as long as the Lamb is on His throne and in your life. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for the great picture of your rule. Oh, help us to believe it, particularly our great God, when times are rough. And may we do it all for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.